welcome to the Massive Podcast. My name is Ryan, the host of today's session. Today, our guest is Mr. Jackson, who is a Concordia alumni and a mathematics teacher for a little over 30 years. Hello, Mr. Jackson. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your path coming to teaching mathematics in high school? Really good question. I, I ended up uh, going to Sejep after high school and flunking out. They really didn't drop. I didn't really drop out. They really kicked me out. And I uh, spent five or six years uh, in, the, in, in the armed forces. And I had a great time doing it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, but I finally decided one day that I really did need to go back to school. And so I went back to Concordia as an adult student. And I, and I took grade 10 math as a, my very first course said, no, I can do this. And so I went to grade 11 math and I go, whoops, no, I can't do this anymore. So I started uh, taking some part-time courses and then eventually I quit the full-time army and went into the part-time army and, and decided to become a full-time student. That's how I started getting into math. And then as a math teacher, it just seemed a natural thing to be able to do after having a math degree to go into teaching. So I went into teaching and now I'm here. That's great. Also, uh, Mr. Jackson was my math teacher in high school when I was in grade nine, and is a very excellent teacher. I should say myself myself. Great. Uh, so why did you decide to be a math teacher coming out of uh, university? Well, actually, going into university, I wanted to be an engineer, and nobody would take me as an engineer as an adult student. So I decided I was going to do something that uh, involved math because I was always good at math. When I found out that I really had a passion for math. It wasn't just a, a likeness. It was a passion for being able to do math. I wanted to be able to pass that on to, to other kids. And I think that it's a great idea to, to be able to do that. You having been my student at one time or another may have felt that passion that I have for teaching math. You may not have, and that's, and that's also fine, but that's what keeps me going. I enjoy doing what I do. I enjoy talking with kids. I enjoy discussing math with kids. That sounds very uh, inspirational and wholesome. <laughs> um, so what would you say was like some of your highlights as a, as a teacher, as a, as a math teacher? Do you have any memorable students other than me, of course? Um, any amazing classroom moments? I've had I've had lots and I have uh, and I and, and I take them all in stride. I've had all the kids get up and walk out on me in a class. That was that was a lot of fun. That was, uh, you know, I've had. I've had, uh, you know, a lot of stuff uh, go on in class. It's just, and, and, and actually it was kind of fun because like, because uh, they all looked at one person and they all stood up and walked out and it was great because the next morning they came back and they were all there. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. Uh, I, I really like teaching kids and not letting them stop at what the curriculum says to stop at. I really like the idea of once a kid has been hooked into something to continue milking it and to continue uh, building on that math along the way. And I don't mind going into things that are taught in Seychelles and universities because it's fun and the kids get, oh, wow, is that the way things go? So it's kind of an interesting thing to be able to do. Yeah, I agree. I think that is very interesting. I'm actually going to go into that a little bit later on. Um, mm -hmm. So based on your experience as you're teaching math, what do you find is some of the more uh, difficult mathematical concepts or, I guess, subjects that you had to teach to students? What was like sort of the more common like difficulties that students had? That's a, that's a really loaded question because at every different level I've taught, there is difficulty in something. So everything can be made difficult and everything can be made easier. Sometimes 
kids have a hard time seeing the forest because all the trees are in the way. There's so much stuff in front of them, they just forget what they're actually looking at. And in math, they can get lost because of all the details that they're, that they're trying to memorize and see, but they're not seeing the whole picture. I think that's the, that's the thing I enjoy the most is painting the whole picture for the kids so that they can see what's going on. Right. I think that's, that's a great analogy, by the way. Thank you. I, I agree. I think it comes down to really like the individual student, right? Because every student has their own way of learning, has their own way of experiencing. Yeah, I agree. And what, were, what was something like you would tell students or what were some of your solutions that you would recommend to students for those that were, you know, trying to find the one tree in a, in a forest or trying to figure out how to overcome their struggles? Well, first of all, they have to do something even if they get it wrong. There's nothing wrong with getting things wrong. Everybody gets things wrong. I get things wrong all the time. If I don't get things wrong 100 times a day, then well, I'm lying. I really, really don't have any sympathy who some, for somebody who wants to just be perfect at what they're doing and wants to start off at the top. You have to start off at the bottom. You have to make mistakes. You have to try things. You have to do things until you're comfortable with them. And then things can be made a little bit more uncomfortable as you start learning more stuff. And then as you start learning more stuff, you become very comfortable with that. And then more stuff gets added on to that, making it a little bit more uncomfortable again. So there's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with not knowing what you're doing. There's only something wrong with not trying. That's an excellent answer. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, let's, going into how you taught classes and just like how you kind of expanded on things that would go beyond the curriculum, how much uh, influence did you have or how much autonomy did you have in creating your own curriculum for students or how much of that was influenced by what governmental policies were implemented and by the administration and whatnot? The government has a pretty good guideline as to what, as, as to what you need to know. But it's a guideline and it's a written document. It wasn't, it's meant for all students. It's not meant for specific students. I had the absolute luxury when I taught at Lindsay Place to construct a grade nine curriculum of my own design. And for better or for worse, kids came out of there knowing a lot more math than they thought they could know. And we had some fun doing it. We did some fun things. We even did like uh, systems of equations and using Kramer's rule to be able to to, to solve things. Not that they really understood what a matrix was, not that they really understood what a determinant was, but the fact that they could put all the numbers in certain places and calculate out the answers quickly was kind of, was kind of uh, in, enjoyable. As for in uh, the other uh, grade 10 and grade 11 math courses, well, there are certain things that all kids have to know. And unfortunately, there's an exam not written by me at the end of the thing. And in grade 10, that exam is provincial exam, and it has to be passed in order to graduate grade 10. So there was a lot less experimentation in grade 10. In grade 11, it was fine. In grade 9, it's fine. Uh, in grade 11, during the last half of the year, I used to teach calculus at night to kids. It was very nice to be able to do that. And I've had a bunch of compliments of, uh, about that over the years. It's been a way to be able to ease kids out of high school and out of being coddled and taught every single thing to do to allow them to have a lot more autonomy about things that are, well, maybe a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I, I was actually going to mention that because I remember that you had said that you had uh, started like a calculus club. I think I remember what it was. That, is that, that's what it was called, right? Calculus club. That was the term. That was the term. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I thought that was a great idea. And I wish that I had taken advantage of that because going into CIGEP, 
my first year of CIGAP, I feel like I was so lost um, with mathematics and like calculus was such like a different like field for myself. Every time I would I would be in class, just completely lost, I'd kick myself like, man, I really wish I went to calculus club in grade 10 or grade 11. But yeah, that was that's a really great idea. I think that's a great way of to like go past the curriculum and just kind of teach students what they kind of want to learn. I just remember that I I just received an email from uh, one of my former students to ask for a letter of reference and she mentioned that she really enjoyed the fact that she didn't have to panic in that first three or four weeks of calculus. It was okay to just be there and to just do things and then and then well the the tide of all the work in uh, in, in Sejup catches up with you and so it, it, it was just it was just very nice to to hear that. Absolutely, I can imagine. So as you were uh, teaching and going through a various years of teaching, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, difficulties you had with yourself or just like difficulties building the curriculum, dealing with students. And so regarding that, how much support did you have from other math teachers or other teachers or just the administration? I've always had support from administration. The problem is, is that there's never enough. There's one administrator for 50 teachers and there's really just not enough one-on-one time to be able to get the real support that you that you needed from the other teachers most of the other teachers were not math experts they were uh, very good at being able to teach math but they they didn't have degrees in math they had degrees in other things and i uh for the for the last 10 or 15 years of my career used to go to the nctm meetings the national council of teachers of mathematics meetings all over the place and i used to get some great ideas from them i've had some absolutely wonderful ideas from them to see what people are doing in order to be able to produce new ways of being able to bring stuff into class. One thing that sticks out particularly in my mind from one of these classes was, I went to a lecture once, it was the 10 lies that my math teacher told me. And I always remembered that because I go into the class now and I go, okay guys, I'm gonna tell you a lie. I can't tell you why I'm telling you a lie, but I'm gonna tell you a lie and this is what we're gonna do. Why is that? Well, we're gonna have to maybe do something else with it afterwards. But for now, this is going to be, this is the way we're going to be able to do things. So I've enjoyed learning about all sorts of different ways to introduce things. And I hope that I have used uh, some of them really well, because some of them have been really excellent for being able to bring together things in school. Thank you. Sorry, what was it you were talking about that the NC, NCT? NCTM, uh, National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. It's an American thing where five or 6,000 math teachers get together and we talk about teaching math and we have people there that will tell us things about math and their math teaching. So there's been some great people uh, who have done all sorts of things. And I remember going to a lecture once where somebody was doing something about similarity and they didn't really want to use something doubling in value because the K value would be two. And it, it just made the, the, the similarity stuff so hard for them to understand that, you know, you'd get four and they would think it's, you know, two plus two or something rather than two squared. And I said, so, you know, why don't you just leave stuff as two squared and forget about it? Don't simplify stuff for kids. Let them simplify for themselves if they need it. And that's, a, and that's one of the things that I've done for a while now, is to let kids be a little bit adventurous and leave stuff the way they want to leave. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess like going into that a little bit, because I'm sure the NCTM, they talk a lot about how, with the, with the future and how, how you should be wanting to teach mathematics to students in the future and how it's been evolving. So what do you think 
the future of teaching mathematics would look like? How different would it be from today? Or how would you want it to be different from today? I'd want calculators to be phased out of up to about grade 11. Uh, and I don't need kids to be able to do stuff by calculators. I need them to do them by pencil and I need them to do stuff in their heads and I need them to to do thinking. Uh, that's way more important than getting answers, especially in you know grades 9, 10, and 11. I always tell kids that there's no question I'm going to ever ask you that anybody's going to pay you for the answer for, but they will pay you if you know how to think. And that's, that's what we're trying to get across is a method of thinking of things. Well, that's the way I've, I've lived for an awful long time now. I can't dream up a question that I'm ever going to pay a kid to solve for me. So I just leave it at that. I want kids to think more. And, and I'm not adverse to using calculators and computers in class to be able to show things. Calculators and, and computers are, have their place, but it shouldn't be all the time. And there's things that a computer can do in milliseconds that I can't do, like draw properly. I can see the smile now. You remember, <laughs> I can't draw. <laughs> I, I can't draw and I can't write. So, I mean, there's two, two strikes against me for being a math teacher right there. All right, <laughs> no worries. Um, so obviously with the last uh, two-ish years with COVID, uh, everyone's been stuck at home and school has has been very, very different from what it was, well, two years ago. So how, what do you think about um, online schooling and uh, how it's been going so far? I've been lucky to have taught in a lot of different environments. I started teaching in a, in a ritzy private school where I had to wear a shirt and tie to school every day. And so did the kids. I left that and I went to teach in a school uh, for kids who were all at risk. And then I went taught in a school that was all girls. And then I went and I taught in a public school and it was wonderful. Every one of them was wonderful. Every one of them had their had their benefits. Teaching online is not unlike teaching anything else. It's teaching. It's being able to lead a kid towards their goal and giving them a very gentle kick in the butt to get them to go over the cliff and actually solve stuff for themselves. It doesn't really matter if I'm at home teaching online. It doesn't really matter if I'm if I'm in school throwing chalk at kids. It doesn't really matter if I am standing. Uh, in a physics lab teaching physics, it, it just doesn't matter where I am. The goal of this is not for me to answer the questions. It's to just gently get the kids to the edge of the cliff and then just watch them topple over. It's just a wonderful feeling. Awesome. So I understand right now you've been drafted into the Lesby Pearson School Board online school. I have, yes. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what really that's about? I get to teach online for kids who can't be in a regular school right now. We have that health pandemic thingy going on and and these kids can't, for some reason, can't be there. Whether they're sick, whether they live with sick family members, whether whatever the reason. I don't know the reason and I really don't care with the reason. And I get to wake up every morning and I get to talk to somebody. So... We have hour-long classes. That's kind of an interesting thing. I've never had a Monday to Friday schedule before. I love Monday to Friday schedules where I know I can leave at uh, 4 o'clock on Friday or whatever. So there's some parts of it that are really good. I mean, other parts of it you know, are not so good. I can't walk around and take a look at what a kid's writing. I can't actually see what's on the kid's uh, screen. So I don't really know if they're playing games or talking to me. As a matter of fact, I know that they are playing games sometimes because I can watch their eyes, but and they, they shouldn't giggle that much in math class. But that's just, uh, you know, 
that's just me uh, watching what they're doing. But usually I, I have uh, in my Zoom box there, I have uh, quite a matrix of kids sitting there. And I just keep going up and down columns asking questions. So um, my favorite way of teaching is the Socratic method of just asking questions. Once there's a little bit of knowledge, then we just ask questions right around the periphery of it until it starts becoming a little bit bigger and kids finally grasp what's going on. It does leave for some days where kids leave a little frustrated and go like, I don't know what the hell's going on and whatever. And well, that's okay. Again, I don't mind kids not knowing things. I mind kids giving up. I mind kids when they're, when they're not going to try to do stuff. That's, a, that's the part that every teacher minds. I see. Okay. So I understand right now you're also a tutor. I do that. Yes. So what do you think the main difference is between a tutor and a teacher? Like obviously a tutor is a one-on-one -on -one experience, whereas a teacher is a classroom experience. But what are some similarities and differences between those two professions? Certainly we're going for the same idea that you would like to uh, have a kid understand something at the end. I have very little time. I have half an hour with kids and I, and the setup has to be good. The delivery has to be good and the kids have to have a little bit of time to be able to do stuff. And sometimes it's a little hurried when, when tutoring with being a teacher, I get the luxury of, I can just stop here today and I'll pick it up tomorrow and we can go on with stuff. I can be the quote, nice guy for a change and not give homework once in a while, not very often. And you know that. And the kids in a classroom have a longer story to listen to in order to get to the goal. Whereas with tutoring, it's very fast. It's, I need to know this part because I have a test on Tuesday or whatever. So the, the tutoring is more fast food and teaching is more like a, a nice gourmet meal. How's that? <laughs> That's an excellent analogy. It really is. <laughs> All right. So what kind of advice or tips would you want to give to uh, future math or science teachers or just teachers in general? Like, what do you think is something that every student or every person going into the teaching industry should really know? I've done a lot of thinking about this. And the very first thing I would suggest anybody who wants to be any teacher, math, science, English, French, it doesn't matter. Make sure you're trained to do another job. The average lifespan as a teacher is under five years. So make sure that while you're still going to school, you train yourself to be able to do something outside of school, that you have something to fall back on. I have been very, very lucky to be able to last 30 some odd years as a teacher. There have been times when I wanted to throw in the towel and I've been around a number of teachers who after year one or after year two say, I just can't handle this crap anymore. There is abuse heaped upon teachers from kids, from administrators, from other teachers in the building, from parents. And every once in a while you get across to somebody and then there's some niceness flowing and you just feel like a million dollars after that. But there's a lot of tough times in between. And there's a lot of my uh, friends who I've taught with have decided it's, it's just time to leave. It's time to go do something else and good for them. I, I appreciate them uh, doing that, but I still love going into class and I still love getting a bunch of kids worked up over math. It's really fun. It really is. Especially when kids don't know that they're going to have fun. <laughs> like, what's this? Having fun in math class? Come on. Can't do that. <laughs> so I would, I would really recommend teachers think about what would happen if they can't teach and prepare themselves accordingly. We have a new program that the Quebec government has come out with to teach P3 
people to be teachers as an undergrad degree at uh, McGill. So they go through three years of undergrad at McGill and they come out as, as qualified teachers. But I think in order to be a good teacher, you have to have better background than just being able to teach. You have to understand some history, geography. you got to understand other things in life that can happen and work that into your teaching. Um, I love travel. I absolutely adore traveling. And I have been to some of the best cities in the world and I go to their science museums or I go to their math museums. In New York City, there's a wonderful math museum if you've ever been there. Uh, and, and these are just great places to go. And they're exciting to see and they have ideas that are just, you can't believe that somebody has actually thought up some of these things. But if you bring that into the classroom, some of your background. I even bring some of my military stuff in the background. I used to teach kids to drive. Oh my God. Oh, what a, teaching math is a lot easier, <laughs> but I bring stuff into teaching that I do in my, in my real life. I mean, this last couple of years have been really hurt. I can't go travel anywhere, but there will be a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that because you said that it can be very challenging, a lot of trials going through as a teacher. So what do you think some of the, like you said, some of the biggest challenges of being a teacher? Like you said, there's a lot of abuse from, from students, from parents, from, from the administration. There is abuse. It's not, it's not necessarily a lot. Usually it's okay. not. Usually it's ambivalence rather than abuse from, from kids. Usually they just don't care and they don't care yet. They have yet to figure out that, oh, maybe I'm going to need this for something later on, or maybe we can actually use it for something later on. There's a, there's a loneliness factor too, being a teacher. And I don't mean that in a, in a snide way, but you're doing your stuff in front of kids for 50 minutes and you're the only adult in the room. And you don't usually get a, a sounding board to, to sound things off of in order to be able to bring it up. So sometimes, I mean, we bring stuff up, you know, like before class and you sit and have your morning coffee and you're talking amongst the teachers and we decide, you know, how to do something or we have time to be able to discuss things. Time is a very precious quantity in the school. It's meeting kids before school. It's kids who are playing basketball before school. It's kids who are uh, running away with their friends to go to lunch. It's uh, kids trying to find their friends during recess. It's kids have to go home after school and whatever. So like finding time to actually sit down and talk and to have a longer discourse than just, you know, five minutes in a classroom or, you know, maybe even less than that. Because with some kids, maybe it's like 30 seconds a day I get to talk to them. And that's, that's a pretty hard thing to get around. You know, I usually like to get around it a little bit with jokes and I get a few kids to laugh a little bit in class. And I don't mind uh, making an ass of myself to get kids a little bit amused in, in, into what they're doing. It's a great way to be able to get a rapport with kids. So once you have a rapport, then you can talk to them about anything. Right. Awesome. I see. Kind of like a more lighthearted, uh, off-topic kind of question. As a university student, what do you, what are some tips for learning math? Obviously, you've given a lot of uh, advice and tips about learning how, how to learn math in uh, in high school and maybe even CIGEP. How, how do you think that's, that changes in university? Like, What are some tips about learning math in university? Because it's definitely definitely much more different than learning math in high school. Uh, yes, it, it has to be self-driven. And, and if it's not self-driven, you, you just you just don't have a chance. I, I really hope this stats teacher has retired by now, but I took a stats course in university and it was a year long stats course and I flunked the midterm. 
it was my first year at uh, going back to school full time. And I'm sitting there kicking myself in the ass going like, what am I doing? I give up a job and I come into school and I'm flunking a damn math course for crying out loud, which I'm supposed to be good at. And so I finally took to reading textbooks ahead of time and doing all the worked out examples and understanding all the worked out examples before going into class. God, that teacher got to be a lot better teacher afterwards. Once I was prepared and once I had done my homework ahead of time, it was a lot easier to be in class and to, and, and to actually learn why I'm doing what I'm doing, not just what I'm doing. So I got to learn it on a, on a bigger scale. I ended up with an A in the course and I never went back for another stats course in my life because <laughs> it bothers me to, to do stats. That's just a personal thing. That's just a personal thing. I love algebra though. So, <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right, so um, I think we're getting close to the end of the, uh, the session. Just like a kind of a takeaway question. If students wanted to reach you or to like maybe talk about some of the things we talked about in the podcast today, what would be like the best way to reach you? Would it be like email? Do you have like a LinkedIn or something? I have an email. It's sjackson314 at gmail.com. And it's one of those emails that I can, I, I, I do uh, take a look at it from, from time to time. So I will answer questions. I probably won't answer them very quickly, but I will answer them. All right. Great. Um, thank you. And that's going to conclude our session for today. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. So today, Mr. Jackson talked to us about detailed teaching techniques that he uses in class, what inspires him to teach. He gave us the advice of acquiring skills for a backup job in case one wants to go into teaching high school. He described the interaction between other teachers, administration, parents, and students in high school. He contrasted the work of a teacher and a tutor, and he gave us the advice of doing the required readings in the university before coming to class. Thank you, Mr. Jackson, and thank you all for listening. Be sure to reach out to us. All of our socials are on our website, and on behalf of all of MESA, good luck, stay safe, and stay tuned for our next episode. Mm -hmm.